Let us pray. Lord God, help us to take the veil away that your glory may show forth wherever it needs to go. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thomas Merton, writing in the book Confessions of a Guilty Bystander, recalled a moment that where he was suddenly overcome by the divine presence. It was in Louisville, on the corner of Fourth and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district. And he wrote, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all those people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. Merton explains that he was caught up in the realization that despite humanity's dedication to absurdities, and its many mistakes, God himself gloried in becoming a member of the human race. And Merton suddenly experienced such profound joy, he wanted to just laugh out loud right there in the middle of the street. He wrote, as if the sorrows and the stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me, now, I realize what we all are. And if only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained, there is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. What Thomas Merton encountered on the corner of Fourth and Walnut was a transfiguration. The glory of God revealed in the faces of the people there. In those faces, he saw what the Israelites saw when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. He saw what Peter, James, and John saw when they looked upon Jesus and Moses and Elijah conversing together about Jesus' departure, he saw the Shekinah, the glory of God. There is a difference between holiness and glory. In the scriptures, holiness speaks to the transcendence of God the unknowable otherness of the divine nature. God's holiness cannot be observed. Glory refers to the imminence of God. In some stories in scripture, it involves physical phenomena like that still small voice that Elijah the prophet experienced or the cloud that settles upon Israel or the cloud that settled upon the mountain that Peter, James, and John entered. The glory of God is God made manifest to people. 
The stories we have today talk about it in a particular way, how it appears upon the faces of those who encounter God, and how it affects those who in turn encounter them as they walk around shining like the sun. Glory rubs off. Mesopotamians called it the fearful radiance. And Moses was a particularly frightening example. His face shining as he came down from Mount Sinai with a second attempt at the Ten Commandments. You'll remember that he smashed the first set when he found his people worshiping the golden calf the first time around. And from that point, Moses had been trying to woo God back to God's people, meeting with God, bargaining, reasoning. God liked Moses, but God was no longer sure about Israel. But for Moses' sake, because Moses was a friend, God changed the divine mind and promised to accompany Israel again. Moses even had the temerity to ask God to show him the divine glory so that he could be sure of God's promise, which God did. And after 40 days in God's presence, armed with a new version of the covenant coming down the mountain, Moses' face glowed, so much so that it terrified the people. And they asked him to put a veil over his face to calm their fears of dying. He would take it off when he spoke with God and when he told the people what God had said. But the rest of the time he kept it on so the people wouldn't be afraid. And I wonder if over time people liked the idea of there being a veil between them and God. Maybe they got used to not seeing God's glory among them, the signs that God was manifest, that God had a local address right in their midst. The Apostle Paul thought this was why it was so hard for Israel to recognize God's glory when it appeared to them as Jesus. Now I'm hesitant to pick up Paul's argument with his own people here, as this is the stuff of so much anti-Semitism, so much triumphalism. But I, I also get Paul's larger point. He wants the Christians of Corinth to boldly reveal who they have become because of Jesus. And he wrote, all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. But I suspect that that wasn't very easy for Christians to do either, or Paul wouldn't have brought it up. Despite what we believe about Jesus, even today, we are still much more comfortable with the veil than we are with the glory that visible evidence of God manifest among us. And I think this is why we tend to reverse those ideas of holiness and glory. 
We use holy to describe things or people that are religious. The kids on the playground at St. Hilary School like to point out to me that I was so holy. It wasn't a compliment. But glory, that stays on the mountaintop. That is reserved for a select few like Peter, James, and John to see. It's a sneak peek to the end of the story. You get a glimpse of heaven, and then it's back to the veil, back to the conflicts and quotidian lives waiting at the bottom of the mountain. However, the nature of God's glory is not like that at all. Rather, it's the terrifying proof that God is with us. In the story of the transfiguration, it's not what stays on the mountain that is most important. It's what comes down with Peter, James, and John. And just as God accompanied Israel in the wilderness to the promised land, so God walked the way of the cross to its conclusion. The Reverend Laurel Mathewson, co-vicar at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in San Diego, calls God's glory holy light on the move. In an article in the Christian Century, she stresses how it is intended to go into the world. So the story of the transfiguration is a fitting one to close out the post-epiphany stories of the divine light revealed and to launch us into Lent and to get us to Good Friday and to Easter. Now, in Eastern Orthodox theology, the transfiguration is not just a manifestation of who Jesus is or who God is, but it's also a glimpse of what humanity can be if we just lived fully into the divine image that we were made with. And here we come to the true purpose of these glowing faces in today's stories. They are to bring God's presence more fully into the world, to bear the divine light, to reveal what we have seen and heard. Today, we are asked to remove the veil that makes everyone a little more comfortable, but also a little more forgetful that God is among us on our sojourn. What does this veil look like today? Well, it can be anything that obscures the fact that because of God's incarnation, people are all walking around shining like the sun. Merton understood that his own monastic practice could serve as a veil to that if he was not careful. And if you asked the Apostle Paul, he would likely have said that his own self-righteousness and zeal during his church-persecuting days veiled what God was doing in Christ. And we can probably come up with our own personal list of the things we use to shield ourselves from seeing God and revealing God in our midst. Our intellectualism, our relativism, our individualism, our appetites, 
even our politeness. The veil has become a very essential accessory of our time. It goes with everything. We wear it well. This is my last sermon as Associate Rector of St. Martin's. And I thought that maybe it should be a reflection on our seven years together as a faith community, or maybe I should offer some advice, something to keep in mind in the future. But in the face of this transfiguration story, all that I could come up with is there is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun, except to just say it. Friends, let them see the glory on your faces. Let the world get a glimpse, a taste, a hold on the evidence that God has not abandoned us. No matter how messy the news seems right now, no matter what is happening on our streets, no matter what is happening in the Ukraine, God has not abandoned us. That is what the church is for. And if the glory of God is present in the church, which is what we believe, that is why. Clergy come and go. I like to think we tend the sacred fire. We facilitate the worship and the sacrament and invite the ongoing encounter with God. And we also make sure the toilets are unclogged. And the boiler works. Can I have an amen? <laughs> Jared. <laughs> but it's the body of Christ, the whole body that reveals the glory of God to a frightened world. And that world just might beg you to put the veil back on, lest it die. We know from the cross and its aftermath that such a death is not to be feared. It is ultimately the reason why we are all walking around shining like the sun. Amen.